and safety belts. <laughs> Bucket seats have all got to go when we're driving in the car. It makes my baby. Hello! Morning, so <laughs> everyone. Tom Chick, and you are listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast, where this week we are going to be talking about Drive Angry. Mm. Angry 3D. That wasn't what my title card said in, in the theater, but we'll discuss that in a minute. Uh, I am mm. joined by Christian McCransky. Mm. Well, you just call me Iron God Killer. And Kelly Wand, who hopefully has a Drive Angry tagline. What, what can you Watch do with that, Sleepy. Kelly? Ah, <laughs> I stepped on it. What was that? Watch Sleepy. Very nice. Okay. Also... Uh, yeah, go ahead. There's an also. Is there like a, a subtitle tagline? Well, I know the Oscars are out of date by now, but the, I just want to say congratulations, God fucking damnulations to Melissa fucking Leo. Good. Okay. Uh, so let's talk about Drive Angry. Kelly Wand, do you have a synopsis that you can... Wait. Oh, no, no. Before we do, do that, one right, first. right. Dingus, yeah, for people who haven't seen it, without spoiling anything, Dingus, why don't you tell us a little bit about Drive Angry? All right, this week we saw Drive Angry 3D, um, which yeah, I think is the title. My, that's not what my movie was That's called. not what Tom saw. Yeah. Right. Well, this <laughs> week I saw Drive. Drive Angry 3D, a 2011 action fantasy thriller movie directed by Patrick. Thriller. Yeah, it was thrilling. Lucier. Uh, and written by Patrick Lucier and Todd Farmer, the film stars Nicolas Cage as a man tracking down a kidnapped child. The film also stars Amber Heard and William Fichtner. Drive Angry is rated R for strong, brutal violence throughout, grisly images, some graphic sexual content, nudity, and pervasive language. <laughs> yeah, there's language throughout the whole movie. Yeah, they use a lot of language, and it is it's a hard R. Mm-hmm. You're a hard R. <laughs> Kelly Wand, why don't you go ahead and spoil it for folks who might not be going to see it or who have really? already seen it? And so, no give one. us a little more detail. Are people getting sick of these? Uh, we haven't gotten any complaints yet by uh, by. by All right. Me, so, sick of the obsesses? Yeah. Are you kidding? This is well, the. We've just done a lot of them, and maybe people are like, "All right, I get it, dude." Now, this is the penultimate moment of the show. Okay, with the ultimate being the rest of the show. All right, here we go. I'll write a synopsis of the podcast and post it on my blog for loyalists. But getting back to what I'm supposed to be talking about, the Drive Angry Nopsis. You guys ready? Rock and roll. It's kind of it's another woolly one. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so this dude named um, Hieronymus Bosch, William Blake. Dante Alighieri, Lewis Cipher, Milton Bradley uh, stole this muscle car from Satan and he drove it out of hell to East Texas. And he also stole a magic shotgun called the God Killer because it kills demons. And uh, he chases some dudes into a car crash so he can interrogate them about where a baby is, but he knows they won't tell him. So he shoots their hands off and shoots some pavement with water on it that blows up their car. And then them. Um, and then he goes to a diner where Amber Heard works with the chick from Eastbound and Down. Uh, both, or all four of whose boobs I've seen in other stuff on TV, but not in this, because this isn't a campy R-rated exploitation movie. 
<sighs> and Amber Heard's uh, stacked, I mean stoked, because a guy whose dick she threatened to bite off proposed to her, but her boss, uh, the dude who got a frying pan thrown at his head in the fighter, and got a boner in the deleted softball scene from the waitress in Coyote Ugly hits on her, so she quits after feeling his balls, which is all he wanted her to do in the first place. But she tells the sad mother customer to put peanut butter on her muffins because the owner makes shitty muffins, but awesome peanut butter, which isn't enough to make her not quit. So she comes home to find her fiancé banging some naked chick, so she beats her up, but then he beats her up because she knows about the pink dildo. But then Nick Cage caves his face in with an air conditioner, so she leaves with him. And William Fickner is the devil's uh, Vatican warlock assassin and accountant, even though uh, he never does any accounting in the movie. And he has this magic coin that turns into an FBI badge, which is way better than a normally forged FBI badge. (laughs) And it fools all the cops because cops know that real badges always look like coins the first time, flipping in the air. And he smells Nicolas Cage on everything because he's evil. Uh, And he interrogates the chick from Eastbound and Down about which direction Nick Cage and Amber Heard went. And she tells him because Amber Heard was her friend. Uh, And he interrogates Amber Heard's boyfriend, whose face is totally healed from getting kicked in the face and a 100-pound air conditioner falling on it like five minutes ago with a baseball bat through the eye. So he'll probably heal from that, too. Uh, But Nick Cage goes to a bar with Amber Heard and hooks up with the waitress who's attracted to him because his driver's license is from 1910. And Amber Heard hits on the bartender because she wants him to give her a pedicure. But then she sees someone across the street through the window of her motel room. So she goes across the street and hides behind a booth seat so she can eavesdrop on this random conversation between sinister strangers and almost get murdered. But she tricks the main one by not being there anymore when the camera looks. And Nick Cage is banging a waitress with his clothes on, and she asks him why, and he tells her he doesn't disrobe for gunplay, because it'd be too distracting, as opposed to having intercourse during gunplay. (laughs) And he shoots a bunch of people, but runs out of bullets for the last guy, but Amber Heard had a feeling all this was going to happen, so she borrowed a garden hoe from the wall of the restaurant and buries it in his head. And Billy Burke's the one leading the cultists, but he didn't come into the room and fight for some reason. And Fickner's there also, and he tricked two cops into doing whatever he says without calling their boss, but he doesn't fight either for some reason. And Amber Heard kills the cops, but gets mad at Nick Cage for her killing the cops. And William Fickner chases them down in a cop car on a bridge, but Nick Cage tricks him by shooting a bullet through his window that makes the car flip over ten times and go off the bridge. And Nick Cage tells Amber Heard she has to drive for the next few hours because he has to reload the gun. And uh, Tom Atkins is a cop who hates Nick Cage for some reason. We never find out. So they go to David Morse's garage, and Nick Cage stares into a fire and says it's a video feed. And David Morse tells Amber Heard Nick Cage's daughter was in Billy Burke's cult, so that's why he wants to save the baby. And she's all, whatever, plot boy. So they go to a church where the cultists are singing hymns to trick Nick Cage, but Nick Cage tricks them back by getting shot in the eye and being dead for a while, long enough for Amber Heard to get kidnapped. And Billy Burke runs his cult out of this sinister camper. 
And he knows Nick Cage can't be killed by ordinary means, so he leaves his best followers behind to try using ordinary means anyway and to get killed by him. And some cars chase each other, and he decides to kill Amber Heard by dropping the gun he has pointed at her and getting kicked in the nuts by her instead. And we never see the driver. And Nick Cage saves Amber Heard and takes her back to David Morse, and they share secret words we're not allowed to hear because we already understand too much. And William Fickner calls the cops to set up a roadblock to catch Nick Cage and Amber Heard and then helps them escape by blowing up a truck of liquid hydrogen onto some cop cars, which is way easier than just not calling the cops would have been. And William Fickner smells that the black cop has a pentagram tattooed on his chest because all black people are devil worshippers, which isn't racist if it's true. And they go to Oklahoma because the scenery there is totally different. And... Amber Heard gets kidnapped by William Fickner, who tells Nick Cage that he kidnapped her to make Nick Cage kill Billy Burke, which Nick Cage was going to do anyway, because the devil doesn't like infants being sacrificed in his name, because the devil's good. And Nick Cage asks him if he'll help, and he says no. So Nick Cage drives into the satanic orgy and shoots everybody, and William Fickner does help. And so does Amber Heard, because they're all friends now, because he told her that Nick Cage stole the gun and shot at him with it, not to kill him, but just to slow him down. And she calls Billy Burke dickless because she knows about the pink dildo again and shoots the god killer, but not at him, but his friend, which blows up the camper because he crashes into its window. And then Billy Burke starts beating Nick Cage with his daughter's femur bone, which he uses as a cane, even though a femur's only a couple feet long, actually one thigh long. But Nick Cage tricks him by picking up the god killer that Billy Burke didn't notice on the ground right beside him and blows him into a vortex that sucks all the CG bones into the sky, except his skull, and then doesn't do anything. And the woman cultist doesn't kill the baby with the knife because she's a good person who just joined a satanic cult because she heard the peanut butter was good. And William Fickner takes the child and gives it to Amber Heard because Satan loves babies. And they tell Amber Heard she's now its mom, and she's all awesome. That explains everything. And Nick Cage smokes weed out of Billy Burke's skull, and he and Fickner drive back to hell in David Morse's car because there's a portal right there they could have used in the first place to get there from hell a whole movie ago, and the bridge crumbles away behind them, even though it was crumbled when he drove out on it the first time, and they talk about dicks. The end. Kelly Wand, would you like to tell me where you received your training? Afghanistan. Afghanistan. Yeah, was it? Okay, Afghanistan. Okay. You got it right the first time. That's, how'd you know? <laughs> Accent? Racist. Uh, that must be a tough one to do a synopsis for because that was qu- almost quite literally a synopsis of the movie. You didn't have to take much creative license. Uh, no. If, if the writers did actually describe me. Exactly. The writers kind of did your job for you there. Yeah. That must it's have like been they based it like, on the synopsis. Yeah, like watching the movie unfold, you must have been like, well, I, I can't do anything with this. <laughs> it's not me going, I could write a 3D movie with Amber Heard. It's them going, I could do a synopsis. <laughs> we're going to make a movie Kelly. out of a Kelly Wan synopsis. Right. <laughs> I think well, we're not that far away from that. I know that. We're not. Raising the money is the hardest part, really. The writing's already done in my head. I mean, it's head. So, so, yeah, heard. Uh, okay, what? I was just going to ask Tom what happened with the 3D. What happened to you? No, yeah. it was in 3D. They're just a, the, the opening. So the, there were no credits in the beginning. Just the word drive angry comes out in 3D. Yeah. But there's never a point in the movie where it calls itself drive angry 3D. Oh, okay. 
what's that? What's it supposed to be when it comes out in 3D like that? Like, is it supposed to be a, a car coming at us, or it's supposed to be? Hey, here's a cool effect because you're wearing. It's just in 3D. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm reading. It's going towards my eye and then away from my eye. That's the extent of what you're supposed to think. Not oh, that looks like a demon or something. something the actual words you mean? I did. I, well, I the, it was. It, they were like a certain. It looked like uh, the Iron Man logo with like little rivets in it, like a car paneling. Like that was their font. Yeah. Right. I don't know. There wasn't much 3D in the movie, was there? <laughs> I don't remember much, except well, for the so plane. The, the movie was directed by and written by the guys that did My Bloody Valentine, which I didn't see. I did. Was, and, and that was 3D, wasn't it, Kelly Wong? There's, like, there's a lot of jawbones in that one, too. The guy has a jawbone fetish. Wasn't, wasn't that based, at, you know, it was made and, and built and sold as a 3D movie, wasn't it, My Bloody Valentine? Yeah, and there was a lot of 3D in it, I will admit that. A lot of 3D blood. Right, but not so this... I, I think this, that's the, this, the shtick for these guys is, hey, we're going to make these sort of uh, goofy, their exploitation horror movies or whatever you want to call this. And what we're the gonna, hell was this? We're going to do it in 3D. I, I, I can tell you what this was. This was a, a white trash muscle car rock opera wannabe, but with too low a budget to have a good soundtrack. <laughs> or effects. Like if I was a redneck, I wouldn't. This movie wouldn't impress me. Where's the no, titties? It's not, it's, it's not for rednecks. I mean, it, it's for... I, I think this movie... Who's is, it for? Uh, it, it was for me. I think oh, you liked it. Uh, I wouldn't go that far, but <laughs> as I'm watching <laughs> it, I'm like, yeah, these guys are... They're, they're into things that I like. They're, you know, this movie was uh, Winter's Bone meets Legion. Oh. <laughs> You're so half right. As always. Isn't, isn't this the time of the year, last year we saw the baby in peril that saves the world yeah. movie? Yeah, and there was a Paul Bettany preview before the movie that looked exactly like Legion. It was called Priest. Did you guys see that? The 3D no. preview. No. It looks exactly like Legion, and it's him again. <laughs> and he's got a cross tattooed on his forehead. But Tom, you did said that when we did the Piranha podcast, you said that you did all that great shit about how oh, it was intentionally about the subtext of uh, pornography and uh, and women. Like, can you do that with this movie? Can you tell us what Drive Angry was saying on a deeper level? That will make us go, yeah, oh, the guy's a genius. No, I, I do not think I can. Alexander Aja, the guy who did Piranha 3D, is French. Oh, although this oh. guy, wow, you know his last name. He's a French name. Patrick and it's Lip- the same guy who did the music. Who did what music? To Piranha 3D? Yeah, same guy. Wait, really? What are you talking about? Uh, his name's Michael Wandmacher, and he oh, did yeah, the yeah, music for uh, Piranha 3D as well, Dig which also deep. had problems with its title, appearing as sometimes 3D, sometimes just Piranha 2010. Yeah. Can you say the music guy's name again, but can you do it a little more Germanly? <laughs> Michael <laughs> Winsmacher. <laughs> Not Australianly. Oh, you're terrible. Oh, sorry uh, about that. Well, I, that, that's one of the things I know. So, Kelly, when you ask who this is for, and uh, I, I, I don't want to defend the movie too much, but I was having a grand time during most of it. Uh, oh, you're so... Thought, well, I am so. I am very so. There were a few mm. things though, that, that killed it for me, including the ending, including Nicolas Cage. Uh, and including the the I don't know I didn't recognize anything in the soundtrack I mean, but but there there were some great elements I mean I, I think I didn't see my bloody Valentine so I don't I'm not ready to say that these guys are skilled or anything yet because there's a lot of amateur stuff here, but I, I liked what they were going for I like this idea of um, a, a sort of a, a, a this this devil mythology applied to a white trash sort of uh, <laughs> that's fine. 
But they didn't do that. They lost interest in that. Do you think they or did? Some... I mean, I thought that that was. There's not enough. Uh, it I had a know. very. Not they had a lot. Not to the degree of Winter's Bone, for instance, but I thought it had a pretty clear sense of of place. Mm, there, I don't know. There was just too many ancillary characters who didn't do shit. Like Tom Atkins, William Victor wasn't even in it that much, and he doesn't. He winds up being a red herring. There's nothing. There's no spine, dude. <laughs> oh, I agree. I, I agree with you that. And I and I think the spine. The bigger problem with there being no spine is freaking Nicolas Cage again. Just like Season of the Witch, which we saw, and that was our great lost podcast that vanished into the ether, unfortunately. But but just like there there was this sense in that movie that it was some crazy dude's D&D campaign, but Nicolas <laughs> Cage just was so uninterested and non-present on the screen, and I felt the same thing was kind of happening here. Is this <laughs> this really wacky muscle car rock opera white about white trash dudes but every time it came down to Nicolas Cage doing something to try to carry the movie, there was nothing there. There was no sense of connection with Amber Heard. I don't understand yeah. what she was doing there. I mean, that it's like we need to get a chick in the car with him. Uh, At least it's her. And that that could have been a spine, though. I mean, if you'd had a, a, a compelling central relationship, if you'd had two actors that actually felt like they were working together, or at least a story that tried to bring some connection to them, I think it could have had a spine. Yeah, that's um, true. Let's get Dingus. They didn't have any chemistry. Dingus, I'm gonna Dingus is always right lately. I'm always agreeing with him. Well, I, well let's predict. He's the Do you think he liked it or do you think he hated it? Because I think he's going to go one way or the other. I always guess wrong, but then he, when he says it, I go, yeah, he's right. So I'm going to predict that he thought it sucked. I'm, I'm going to think Dingus is more on my side. So once again, we're split down the middle. Let's see who wins the dollar. Who knows Dingus better? Exactly. Dingus way in here um i really loved it <laughs> <laughs> kelly Wan, <Wong>, suck it <laughs> i knew i was wrong even as i said it ago. <laughs> I, had I, such a, I had such a blast watching this stupid movie <laughs> all right he's not right every time i take it all <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm he was right about right. sanctum he was right about <laughs> unknown and now the streak is over you guys are retarded <laughs> I'm so sorry. I just had such a great time watching it, and it was, oh god, it's uh, I just loved it. I think it's horrible trash, and I loved it. I don't love it as much as Piranha. I don't think it's it's. I don't think it's Piranha, as good. Piranha gave better value. I like the Fickner parts, but there's a lot of nothing parts and a ton of exposition that was totally boring to me and ruined it. And Piranha had none of that except kids. Well, it's the biggest. Its biggest problem is Nicolas Cage because he just has no – there's just no magnetic quality to him at all. And and so many characters are supposed to be drawn to him. I mean they're the, that waitress from um, uh, Let's give her name, down. by the way, because I love – Katie Mixon. I, I, I am really, so in love with her. Mm-hmm. She is freaking adorable uh, mm-hmm. and not just because she's chesty. I mean she's funny looking and I love that about her and I love her sensibility. I would have rather seen her take Amber Heard's part in this. Yeah, movie. so she's the rich man's Jennifer Tilly. Very, that's that's beautiful, Kelly Wan. So that's let's nice. call out Katie Mixon by name. Uh, so I'm sorry, I cut you off, Dingus, just because I I want to make sure everybody knows Katie Mixon's name. She's adorable. 
it, it's just, and I'm glad you said her name because because I I looked it up too, and I knew I, I after when I was watching her, I, was, I couldn't remember East Bound and Down until afterward, and then it popped into my head that that's what I that's what she was from. But she's she's so great, and she brings so much to this weird quirky heat to her scenes, and and the the great difference is her scene with him and her scene with William Fickner. Because, you know, when she's trying so hard to be Randy, I mean, she is. She's like, the full moon, you know, makes me Randy. And Nicolas Cage is just like, I said sugar. And then he, like, grabs her and does this awful, sloppy, awful kiss that's just nasty. And you just don't understand why any of these women want to be around him at all. Or anybody would be loyal to him. He's just so completely devoid of any interest at all. All I can think of was how awesome I felt uh, Dwayne Johnson was in Faster. How much I really believed what that guy was going through, and and I don't want him here, but I want somebody that I would believe that Amber Heard would would have some sort of an odd uh, paternal relationship with. And I didn't just didn't believe anything he did. And then when when Katie Mixon is is uh, in that little scene out by the dumpster, and William Fickner is is doing that weird thing with her, I was like, okay, yeah, now there's there's some heat here. Um, but she was doing all the work in that scene, and he just wasn't doing anything. Yeah. Who Fickner? But, but other than that, no, no, I'm talking about Nicolas Cage. Um, but but other than that, I just had such a great time watching this movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of Nicolas Cage that you didn't like that you're enjoying then. That's all I'm saying. He's in every scene. So the thing, the thing that's sucking the life out of the movie is the biggest Well, the, I think the film succeeds for me in spite of him. I mean, he doesn't he doesn't kill it um, for me, but, uh, you know, it, it could have done so much more if they would have cast it properly. Well, and I think one of the reasons he doesn't kill it, Dingus, in the way that he killed Season of the Witch, because in Season of the Witch... You know, they develop this character, and we're supposed to care about him early on. You know, he's leaving the Crusades. He's tortured by what he's seen. Uh, it, you know, th- there's there's a dude there. But one of the reasons that he doesn't kill Drive Angry for me until later is this is more of a Terminator role. Like, hey, mm. what is this dude? He's emotionless. You know, there's something weird about him. He's supernatural. We don't really understand his motivation. So, okay, it kind of makes sense that he's stoic and that he seems kind of removed from everything. Uh uh, so, so it wasn't until where I totally got lost is when he does the the speech about which I actually liked some of the writing in it. You know, what if hell isn't just flames, but is a video feed of people that you love suffering? It was a little clunky the dialogue, but what a great concept! And it should have been a great monologue. And Nicolas Cage is just doing words, spacing right. out, staring at the the, the flames there. He's uh, thinking about his taxes. That's <laughs> what I think every time I see him. I can't. I mean, yeah, it, it's it's right. His head is somewhere else. I mean, he's obviously not interested in God, the movie. He's doing it for the paycheck, exactly. Uh, <sighs> and and that's the point where he he needs to stop being this this uninterested Terminator character and needs to join the movie, and he doesn't. Uh, so early on, should have been Charlie Sheen. <laughs> <laughs> that's my uh, new casting idea. For this <laughs> he would have brought zeal to it, and Vatican assassin warlocks. Uh, but. Uh, and, and while Nicolas Cage is sort of non-present in doing the Terminator stuff, you've got Katie Mixon, you've got William Fickner, you've got Tom Atkins, who's a big old goofball, and I was fine with that. And even Billy Burr. Even Philip Taylor Pruitt Vince. I don't. I can never get that guy's name right. <laughs> Just playing the bouncer who's that? when he shows up. He's the not the bouncer. He's the guy that owns the bar. He's in Constantine. He was in a movie, a James Mangold movie called Heavy. Uh, he's a bigger fella whose eyes 
sort of a... He's right, right, right. The guy said, I heard you were dead. Just the right, right. Dead right. And I love that guy. And so I love seeing these people show up. I loved these ancillary characters that you're talking about, Kelly Wand. Yeah, but um, they never... They never had good payoff scenes. And they never wound up... I mean, no one had a good payoff scene. You don't, you don't think the Fickner stuff? I, I loved everything William Fickner did. Yeah, I, I did too. I, yeah. But then when they become friends, I was kind of like really looking forward to a showdown... And like, how will Nicolas Cage be the awesomeness of William Fichtner? And then I got, I felt jacked out of that. Really? Because I loved the, I thought the payoff was, it, it was a little I hated subtle. The <laughs> yeah. The, the indie, it does, it definitely falls apart. But the payoff was watching those dudes drive off together, and and some of their mm-hmm. exchanges. I love the exchanges where he's like, "You think you're you're Loki? You think you're Wotan? You think you're Baron Samedi? <laughs> you think you're Anubis? <laughs> yeah, exactly." The, those little like if we if I had gotten just one more meaty scene with just the two of them, I think William Fichtner actually could have brought Nicolas Cage into this movie if they'd written more stuff. Right, they've been in more scenes together. Yeah, you really get a sense that they have this this history and they've got like this private conversation going on. Yeah, and and that and you know when the, you're you're so right. I love those little moments, Tom, where he says, "What do you think you are, Wotan?" Where where they never explain that, but it's clear that these guys have. A per- personal jokes that they're doing with each other, and I think that I think that the the way that it it plays out, their relationship plays out, is perfect. Because what else are you going to have? He he eventually shoots him with the god killer, and and then he disappears. Right. I mean, that's the only other thing that can happen. And so that what happens oh. is, you know, oh well, there's compassion in hell too. Is a nice little thing. I, I really like the way that happens. Uh, I just loved, you know. I was remembering uh, talking about William Fickner at the beginning of The Dark Knight when we talked about our character introductions. And I just love that guy. And he just was having a ball here. Mm -hmm. And it was so obvious. And he did so many wonderful little things, little just little touches. Like Mm -hmm. when he looks over at at Amber Heard and he does that little gesture, roll down your window gesture. (laughs) (laughs) And the loudness of the uh, radio. (laughs) See, that's the thing. is That's exactly – he was as excited and as having fun with this as Nicolas Cage was bored. Uh, right. I, I mean, he, he was so invested. And, it totally and why is the movie about him? It, what? Why can't the movie be about that character? Why can't it be about the best character instead of a guy who's in the movie about five minutes total screen time? I resent that. <laughs> yeah, you, you have a point. But, you know, it's because we've got the arc where it's the dude trying to redeem himself. We've seen like, that before. I it's know, so I tiring. Know. The fucking baby. Jeez. You put a baby in it, I know everything's going to happen now. You get the baby the last second. I'm gonna say, nothing's going to happen. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, my God. A baby got saved. I've never seen that before. <laughs> but, Kelly Wand, one of the things that I have to say I like, you know, Dingus mentioned, what are you going to have for the Worst MacGuffin ever. What are you going to have with the payoff? He's going to uh, Nicholas Cage is going to shoot him with the guide killer, and that's it. And it reminds me a bit. I mean, it's nowhere near as good, but I, I much prefer an ending where they just talk. And it reminds me a bit of, of the ending of Constantine, where you know a typical unimaginative movie is just going to give the hero a super weapon, or you know, and he's going to shoot the villain with it, and that's the end. You know, like all this, like Iron Man, for instance, the showdown with Robert Downey Jr. and and and. Uh, Jeff Bridges is just, I, I think they had some, I don't know, there's a doodad involved. You know, it's just gadget-based. And mm-hmm. that didn't come into, that That I thought was going to be the payoff here, and that didn't come into play. The, the, yeah, the there were no rules thing. at all. <laughs> well, it's not a rules-based movie, too. It's another thing oh. that anybody would bring up. I mean, this is clearly not a rules-based movie. This is a movie where, at the very end, 
they're going to just set the muscle car on fire while it turns <laughs> around because yeah. that looks cool. Yeah. <laughs> so you liked it on the Charlie's Angels level. Of, I don't It doesn't have to make sense. Nowhere near as good. And I didn't like it, for instance, as much as Faster, which I felt was more character-driven. This was a, a cool concept with one actor having a great time and a, and a somewhat interesting cast. Um, so, no, nowhere near as much as Charlie's Angels and not even as much as Faster, which I also know, Kelly Wand, you didn't care for. Uh, but but on that no, level, but I I could see faster had a lot of cool shit in it that I if I think of like the stuff with the hospital was awesome, and I liked little things in this too. So maybe I'm wrong both times or right both times because the truck was cool and the Fickner parts are are almost worth seeing the movie for, but it's so quick. There's just but, so little else. And so you asked so m- about if I could do a Piranha 3D thing with this, and I, I do have a, a minor. I, th- I think I can maybe move a little bit in that direction. One of the things that you mentioned, many cool things w- with this movie. One of the things I really liked here is this movie had this. Um, I-, I can imagine, for instance, red states and uh, like Bible Belt Republicans, Tea Partiers, for instance, would love this movie because for a couple of reasons. I loved the scene where he goes, even though it was so over the top and ridiculous, where he goes into the church and everybody in the congregation pulls out just absurd guns and weapons just out of nowhere. And it's an example of why it's not rules based. You know, they didn't have these, you know, how, where were they hiding all of these guns? You know, they uh-huh. it just for the visual gag. This wasn't a movie about rules and whether or not cultists can really hide uh, a hunting rifle, you know. Sure they can. Under the pews. But that's the thing is that's not what the movie was concerned about. It just wanted to show us this gag. So I love this idea of you know a church being inhibited, being inhabited by all of these this heavily armed congregation. Uh, and there's maybe even a bit of a, a I don't quite know how to phrase this, but a sort of a a federal versus state government issue where any time oh. William Fickner pulls awesome. out that FBI badge, it mesmerizes the cops. Right. And subverts. <laughs> that's good. Law, you know, <laughs> so, not so, bad, so, chick. So that's right. So, so the, the fed is like the evil supernatural influence that subverts local politics, local law. B plus. Uh, thank you. So there was, you know, I, it just had enough clever stuff that I, I, I was never bored. I, I wasn't, like, getting restless watching it. it. It wasn't, like, unknown where I'm like, oh, God, do something already. You know, it would do cool stuff. And, and good Lord, I mean, Amber Heard is, is a beautiful woman. And I think mm. she does a great, I didn't notice. badass, hot chick. Like, there wasn't much context for her here. But I liked watching her. I loved, loved, loved those cars. Oh, my God. And the movie yeah. did, too. I loved how much the movie loved those. Fetishized them. It's so fetishized. I mean, there's some of that in Faster as well. Yeah. Um, I really loved how they set her up to be a badass from the beginning. It's not like, like you know, in so many of these movies, the the wafers, the poor chick catches being able to fight like it's some kind of virus late in the movie, and in this, she's punching people from the get go. You know, when she has that fight with that naked chick in front of her house, uh-huh. which I don't know why they end up there since she says she's driving Nicolas Cage to a truck stop. Um, but she just punches this naked chick out and then starts punching out the screenwriter in front of. I mean, I just love I just love that she was just I'm going to 
kick anybody's ass, and mm-hmm. and that's why he decides to go with her. I think that's that. I think that provides a little bit of character motivation, a little bit of connective tissue, and and it also sets up for her being a badass later in the film. I really like that. And she's I think she can carry it off. Yeah, she's a consistent badass. Like she's still talking shit to a guy who's about to, pop, to just pound the shit out of her and already has, like, when I'm, she's on the ground. <laughs> I'm going to kill she, you and defile your body. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm going to fuck you up. <laughs> Which, in the trailer, she said, I'm going to mess you up. So Uh-oh. there's movie ratings in action. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, who is Billy Burke, by the way? Have I seen that guy in something else? He's in Big Love. Wait. He's in a lot of TV stuff, I think. Oh, he's a TV dude. All right. Think so. He didn't do much. Tom doesn't have TV. I don't have right? TV. And poor David Morse. Uh, I love that guy, I, but oh, I didn't believe I didn't believe it when he showed up. I couldn't. Billy Burke's in Twilight. That's why we don't know who he is. Oh we yeah. Have dicks. I mean, oh, he is. <laughs> oh, <laughs> he was so dreamy. Oh, I mean, <laughs> he was distinguished looking. If you like that kind of thing. This is why you know it's a shame. Uh, because I think David Morse, it was cool to me when David Morse showed up, because I like that guy so much. Mm. Um, and I think that there were a couple people in this, like William Fickner and David Morse, and who must Tom have Atkins. read it, who must have read it, and Tom Atkins, who um, I don't know that I've, I remember him from anything but Lethal Weapon, but I know he's been in other stuff. Halloween 3. Um, Escape from New York. What's the matter with you? Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Oh, but I don't know hello. what to say. Jesus Christ. Hello. hello. Um, movie podcast. The shame of of Nicolas Cage's um, financial situation is that he's just probably accepting things indiscriminately and believing they're all crap, and then phoning them all in. And it would it's unfortunate that he didn't pay attention to this, because had he not just sort of said, "I'll just take anything, give me anything, and I'll just phone it all in," if he had paid attention, he would have seen that there was some gold in here to mine, and maybe he could have added something to it. I mean, that's the only thing I can see why somebody like David Morse would show up in it, who's somebody I really like. Because he paid attention and kick ass. I mean, uh, he came to kick. Uh, ah, Nicholas good Cage point. Came to kick ass, prepared, and he brought. You know, he had an, an original vision there. Mm-hmm. He had. He had a. Yeah, there was a character and there was a relationship, and it. Uh, you know, I I know he can do good stuff, and as I'm watching the movie, I'm I'm, I'm not minding that he's this Terminator character because I figure it's going to break and something wacky will happen. And and no such thing comes about. Yeah, I have a theory though that once someone wins an Oscar, they kind of call it in from then on. That's why I'm I'll, I would have been bummed if Jennifer Lawrence had won. <laughs> <laughs> but he, but beyond being a Terminator in this particular film, he's broken out on his own volition. He hasn't been sent. He's not doing someone else's bidding. He's here on his own mission. Right. Um, and so he, there should be something, if you'll excuse the word, driving him. And you never get that sense. Hmm. I liked when Amber heard they were headed towards the roadblock, and she goes, just keep driving. Like She's like, eh, we die from cops, whatever. <laughs> Boy, the special effects in that hydrogen truck sequence were horrid. So? What the hell? I mean, hey, I, I, I liked the, the, the very beginning. And, and Is it William Fickner doing the voiceover? Because I couldn't figure out. Yeah, it's got to be. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, that opening really very much reminded me of the, uh, the special effects in the hell scenes in Constantine. And um, the film's explosions and other special effects really never rise above that. That hydrogen truck looked like somebody did it on his Mac and then just sent it over to them. Yeah. It was just horrible. 
but I'm okay I guess with that's that they, there was so much practical yeah. stuff. I mean, there was, right. Uh, right. and and that you know, just the, all I needed was a few scenes of that. Uh, what was that? That SS, that Chevy SS, the word, word, the Chevelle. Yeah. Says, uh, yeah. Is it a? Is it a? The 440 or the Hemi? And, and the guy says the 440, and William Fickner gives him this look. That was another just little touch. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. That was great. I love uh, that. So I and I actually wished that there had been more driving. Now there were plenty of like yeah. wacky stuff, yeah. but but at one point Nicholas Cage and Amber Heard are in the car, and I think she says something like "Now what?" and he says "Now, now we what? drive," and it almost immediately then cuts to another. And they don't drive or something. Yeah, exactly. I thought we were gonna get like some cool like zombie land montage of like dude, you know, the two of them in a car on a road trip. You know, I thought there would be, be actual driving. Uh, he also wasn't driving angry either. I don't, he well, wasn't angry. Yeah, it's a terrible. He didn't title, act angry. It? Yeah, really well, it was named title. after her license plate. Oh God, that's, <laughs> that's right. She was angry. Well, this she was actually angry. called Derv Agri. <laughs> it needed more. She violence. was angry, but she was usually <laughs> driving, so it should have been ride angry, <laughs> angrily. Uh, I noticed that a lot of this seems to have been <laughs> shot on the uh, the Louisiana State Fairgrounds. <laughs> the, county, the, the county, or not Louisiana, but I guess, was it a state fairground? I guess. But I just noticed at the very ending, uh, in the credits, I was like, yeah, it, it looked about like that. Uh, um, so you guys, I know. So, so it really bugged me. I thought that this movie really, really needed, and maybe it's just my own childhood or something, but I thought this movie, and this stuff can't be expensive. But it really needed like some some Leonard Skinner, a thirty eight special, or Molly Hatchet yeah. or something. What the heck was with the soundtrack? And even it should have been a period piece. It well, it was. I, I think they they were intending that with this idea, and the, although this kind of got muddled, there's this idea that Nicolas Cage is from an earlier time where he doesn't understand cell phones. He's got a conspicuously out of date driver's license and acting style. <laughs> <laughs> But but it, it seemed like they were doing a little bit of that like that shtick with Warlock, where Richard E. Grant is from another time and he has to learn the, the lingo, uh, and they they either backed off of that or they weren't clear about the time frame. But but yeah, you're right, Kelly Wand. It should have been not necessarily a period piece, like a contemporary piece, but he should have been like from the the seventies, eighteen hundreds. Oh yes, <laughs> that's what I was gonna say. Uh, Stagecoaches. They, they didn't do it. And even the great moment when uh, William Fickner is driving the hydrogen truck in to uh, uh, That's the Way I Like It, you know, the Casey and the Sunshine Band? That was, a, <laughs> that was a cover band. It wasn't even Casey and the Sunshine Band. They couldn't even get the original song. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. That sucks. That sucks. That's a bummer. I didn't notice that. Cause I'm not... Hey, also in Hell, they have a bridge there that you can drive out on even though they don't want you to. But was that like there before cars like did stagecoach villains used to ride well bridges existed before cars existed yeah but that was a steel bridge (laughs) and a cgi bridge well it could have been for the hell train Uh, (laughs) hey tom (laughs) it's for the coors light train actually i know amber there was coors product placement wasn't there uh what what was it you know amber what were you gonna say well, let me know when you're ready for me to say something. <laughs> well, I really actually, I, I don't have the, any problem with the music because it felt like what she would have playing on the radio of her car. Because when she takes off from the, after she quits her job, that song there's like. this bizarre, awesome song that's, that's called Fuck the Pain Away. 
and uh-huh. it it just really I, for me set the tone for what music we were going to hear and I, and I felt we, like will you sing a little of that for us right now um I'll do that on on our special uh, DVD I'll do that on He special saves it for first. Wendy <laughs> <laughs> I mean whoa, uh, whoa you can't do that about another man's wife Kelly Wan <laughs> Oh come on it's 2011 man <laughs> We're all grown-ups uh, and understand. then later, the the last song, I think the titular song was, and I haven't been able to figure out who this guy is, but it was it was written and performed by a dude named Weston Cage. So I don't know if that's huh. that's odd. That's somebody related. <laughs> I know. No, it's a common of, name. <laughs> I know both of the editors had the last name Lucier. Lucier. No, the, these guys are editors. The, well, the guys. The guy who directed it also edited it, and he right, is an editor. There was a second editor and wrote it. There was a second editor named Lucier as well. Oh, I see. Okay, okay. You know, just while we're floating theories about nepotism, I just wanted to put that out there. And theories about names that sound like the devil. Ah, very good, Kelly Wong. See what I did there? Who now, uh, uh, and lighting equipment? <laughs> he, he's Wait, thoughtful what? and he's well read. That's right, but who, no, me? that's not the devil though. Oh, because the devil. Because what um, what the accountant is talking about is somebody who the devil actually works for. It's just, what? Does he, isn't what? he says what he, he says uh, Lucifer or whatever name he gives him. He, he's not he the guy in charge. He actually owns. He actually works for another guy who's you know very well read and he and he uh, he doesn't like it when people sacrifice children in his name or it gets him very irritated or whatever that line is. It's about but the I'm, devil. You don't. That's think not the devil. I don't think so. I think he's talking about somebody else that the what devil really works about? for. That's the dingus. joke, Dingus. The Dingus, the joke is that the devil himself doesn't want doesn't like kids. Yeah, the cultists are idiots and they're doing it wrong. They humanize I, the devil. <laughs> well, I do like that when point. when he says, "Oh, you have a pact." I mean, he's never mentioned you. Yeah, exactly. Mm. <laughs> See, we know it's a dude. In this <laughs> mythology. And I love the randomness, the sort of the trailer trash randomness of the the cult rave thing. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like, they yeah, all look I like projected that. porn stars to me. Everybody I like in the their cult, dance, the way they dance. Like, looks like somebody it. who had a career in porn and then they just aged. Here out. I am and drive angry as an extra <laughs> naked. Hi, mom. Now, Kelly, why oh. you? <laughs> I mean, that's not how extras talk. Sorry, uh, Kelly, Wan, you must have loved the R-ratedness of it all. Didn't that uh, didn't that do anything for you? Uh, there wasn't that. I don't understand how I can see Amber Heard nude in the Informers, which no one sees, and then here's something everyone gets to see, and she's not—she's not even topless in it. I, th- I think that's over. I mean, I think Amber Heard, she actually uh, produced a horror movie. It's like a Turistas ripoff. What is that thing called? Uh, and she's in it as well. But there's no—I think—I I think she's not going to be doing. Uh, I'm assuming, like, gratuitous nudity anymore. Why? Is that that getaway movie you're talking about? No, what is, it's like getaway. It's two girls, it's her and another girl, on a bicycling vacation in South America somewhere, and the other girl gets kidnapped, and, and Amber Heard has to go rescue her. It's, it's terrible. I don't recommend it. But, she's nude in that? Nope, she's not. I don't, I don't think... Because of this. Well, I, I don't think she has to do that anymore, and I kind of applaud that. I mean, she, that's oh, she, early on with, uh, with uh, All the Boys Love Mandy Lane... Mm-hmm. You know, she, she was she, she was a, a bit younger. She was a she had a, a bit more weight on her. She's not as gaunt, by the way, in this as she was in uh, Informers. The Informers, like she was supposed yeah, to be, that was a plot. Point. She was coked oh. out. 
her character. Uh, but uh, I, I think she, I, I hope like I, I hope but that's what I'm saying. She's she's more someone, of a look as someone other than who just like shows up to take her clothes off because that's all she was doing. Why anymore. can't they come? Anne Hathaway takes her clothes off and she's got an awesome career. It's a good point. Okay. Also, um, I know Amber Heard's a lesbian, but I still think she'd take me over Rosie O'Donnell. One, two, three, not only you and me, got 180 degrees, and I'm caught in between counting. One, two, three, feet apart, every day. Not every lesbian, but just her. Are so, you actually floating that? Like, you're, you're, you're proposing I'm interested. That? Okay. Well, so Amber, uh, contact us at the podcast, and we'll put you in touch if that's something you want to look into. I think Rosie O'Donnell would take you over Amber Heard. (laughs) Six of one, half dozen of the other, really. (laughs) Huh, guys? Uh, Let's do a three by three. Mm. Uh, What are you trying to say? Are you trying to say, let's try it, let's do a three by three? (laughs) (laughs) Without being constantly interrupted by a gibbering fool? Is that what you're trying? What do you got for us this week, Dingus? This is yours. Oh, no, this is Kelly Wong. Oh, no, no, no. I don't know who's this. This is Dingus's. Mine was plot holes. That's right. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys, let's talk about eagles. <laughs> uh, I think the less said about that. <laughs> and yeah, I, like, I apologize for the eagles. Well, no, no, not not Kelly Wan for the idea. I loved the idea, but I think we all had some major whiffs in that. <laughs> <laughs> you did. No, you did. <laughs> You had the dumbest ones. No, you guys with your eagle crap, which was no. Look what it triggered. It totally it, it, makes sense dude, now. Those it, people exploded. Eagles would be corrupted by the rain. Uh, Sauron couldn't shoot down. Well, talons. Oh yeah, but the orcs would, and then the Nazgul. No, but not then. Oh yeah, that's like asking. Man, you guys are stupid. Fuck you for talking about plot holes. <laughs> those aren't even not, plot holes. Plot holes are yeah. only if the character doesn't know about it. Yeah, the character. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> All right, so hopefully this week we'll have a better 3x3. Three three. I ended up liking this one. Dingus, why don't, why don't you tell us what we're doing? All right, these are your top three uh, Hitman uh, moments. Uh, not just your top three Hitmen. Um, and I, I threw Assassins in there as well because I didn't want to say Hit Girl because that's a, that's a different thing altogether. But you could have women if you wanted to. So these are moments involving uh, a Hitman or an Assassin, um, not just your favorite Assassin movies. All right, and I will be going no, how do we do this? Yeah, I'm going first because fourth. I'm introducing next week's. Um, oh God, the rules so important. <laughs> uh, I quite Here's like this, and, and Dingus, I can't believe no one thought. I mean, the more I thought about it, good lord, there's like hitmen and assassins in every in other every movie. movie. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah. Jeez, a Pete, when did that happen? It's the Is broadest. It... I don't know. Oh, I didn't that know. is true. I thought that too. I'm like, gee, I could pick any movie, and there's probably a fucking assassin in it. I think it's this idea that you, you know, like like killing people, like as a as a as a job. You know, anybody. It's a drama too. It's like and it's it's like one of those fantasy career things. It's romantic in a way. Yeah, you know, yeah, if you yeah. don't really process what it's about, it it becomes romantic in a movie sense. Oh, he didn't kill the baby. He's nice. <laughs> well, it's 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 as bad. You know, I, my three by three, by the way, is uh, prostitutes. Your three favorite scenes with prostitutes, and they'll all have hearts of gold because assassins and prostitutes, I think, usually have hearts of gold, don't they? Especially when they get together. <laughs> well, uh, so were, hmm. I, the the three that I actually picked, I picked for kind of subverting that. But well, so I'm gonna I'm gonna do my number three here. Uh, and if you have not seen the movie, it, this movie's like over 30 years old. Surely you've seen it. Everybody's seen Sorcerer. 
So if you haven't seen it, maybe fast forward a little bit because I'm going to ruin the end of it. Um, but I love uh, the, the William Friedkin movie. I think it's like 1979. It's definitely one of those 70s movies uh, about four guys. It, it opens with their their lives in four different cities. They don't know each other. Uh, they all do something terrible and they end up in the South American country where they get one shot at redemption, driving these trucks full of nitroglycerin. Classic 70s movie. I love this movie. And it ends with a shot of assassins. Uh, <laughs> and I love how it's used to punctuate. It, it's such this 70s mindset that you've got to have this bleak, dark ending because it ends with Roy Scheider redeeming himself and he's been through hell, but he's going mm. to be able to move on. And he's weary, and he extends an act of kindness to this wretched old maid, and he dances with her in the jukebox while he's waiting for the, the you know, to, to go get the plane out of the town. And the camera pulls out of the window as a cab pulls up, and a pair of feet get out, and the camera pans up to show two dudes. There's no explanation. You only know that they are associated with the mob boss that Roy Scheider crossed earlier in the movie. Because you'd seen them earlier in the movie. One of them is his friend who betrayed him. And the other one is this mob boss's like right-hand man. And then the movie just ends right there with a shot of these two dudes. Uh, the moment Roy Scheider thinks that he's made it, uh, you know, his past catches up with him. Presumably they go in there and they assassinate him. Uh, so that's my favorite. That's one of my third favorite moment with an assassin. It's just the final shot of Sorcerer. Oh, that's a great one. I didn't remember there were. I didn't. I don't remember. I didn't remember that moment until you just said it. I can so see both of those guys' faces too. Because well, now I can. Yeah. Yeah, and they're they don't have any lines or anything, but they're they just they have just these classic. Like one guy's got this like slab of a face, and the other's his friend who helped him get out of the country, who's got this classic '70s mustache. Um, I forget why I think this, but don't all the characters' deaths somehow ha- tie in with like how they wound up there, including that? Like, doesn't that have some resonance for Roy mm. Scheider's origins or something? Not really. There's like the guy goes over the cliff. Has some, oh, okay, never mind. Well, two of them just blow up when the truck drives over the cliff. Uh, yeah, yeah, but he's talking about a watch or something, and the watch right, has right. something it's, to do yep. with his his backstory. Yeah, it's the, it's you know it's that his wife had given it to him. I mean, it's his backstory is just he had to leave his his family because of some uh, financial misconduct that he was going to be prosecuted for that he couldn't get out of. Uh, and by the way, he gives right before he dies, he gives a letter to Roy Scheider, or, or I think it's right before they leave, and he says, "If I don't make this, you know, send here's would you please see that it's delivered?" And it's addressed to his wife. And Roy Scheider at the very mm. end. Uh, mm is not going to be able to deliver the, the letter. They all get screwed right. by the assassins. See, that's awesome. Why can't every movie end like that? Because it's not the 70s anymore. They're not what? Like <laughs> like yeah. It's 2011. Wendy, you'll understand. <laughs> so, um, I, don't, I think I'm just going to put Sorcerer in the thread and spoiler. I don't know if I want to put... Okay, no, however you want to do that. Because I, I, think, I, I think... End of have... Sorcerer without it, specifying. Yeah, if you have not seen Sorcerer by now, I don't think you're going to. I mean, that's isn't that just Yeah, fuck you. Seen that. <laughs> that's <laughs> true, if, but if, if yeah. you haven't seen Take Sorcerer, that. yeah, if you haven't seen Sorcerer, I'm going to go on the You record. don't belong in a movie podcast. I'm going to go on the record Audience. right now and say that I don't like you. <laughs> yeah, you're not on our side. You know, it's also been a part. Didn't you choose that for have the, uh, the movie club way back when? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, I think that it might have been the first. All right. Movie. All right, so I'll just put the two dudes at the end. All right. Or just put the assassins in Sorcerer. All right. I almost put that as best non-faked sequence. 
blast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dingus, what is your number three favorite uh, scene or moment with a, a hitman or assassin? Wait, does, wouldn't Kelly go and then I go last? Oh, yes, he would. Kelly, won. <laughs> Kelly won, we're just going to skip yours. Is that okay? It's fine. All right, Zap's <laughs> got it. <laughs> I know I've Dingus has stolen one of mine. I'm still convinced, Dingus, that you picked this topic because we're both thinking of the same number one. But You know, uh, I I should have taken that off the table and I didn't think about it until the next day. I think I know what you're talking about, room. but I don't I don't think it's I don't I don't think we're gonna overlap. Uh, then you've done your list wrong, so oh well we'll find out. <laughs> uh, Kelly Wan, Kelly Wan, what is your number three favorite scene with an assassin or a hitman who was not in zapped? My number one, by the way, is awesome and my other two are boring. So here's one <laughs> of the my number three is a scene in Goodfellas where they stop off at Marty's mom's house to borrow a knife and then she shows them that painting of the dogs that she did and they're all analyzing it and Joe Pesci likes the painting and he goes one dog goes this way the other goes that way and the old guy's saying what do you want from me remember that that was great that's <laughs> my number three what does okay. he borrow what does he say he needs the knife for like to get the hoof out of a fender or there's yeah, some bit some, where he's explaining to his mom why he needs the knife uh yeah he needs to chip off some of the old block wait i think that's he something says else. something like yeah it's to get the you know the hoof out of the fender what? <laughs> <laughs> wow you know it's what let's just move on to my trunk <sighs> You didn't like my Joe Pesci uh, impression? What, just, wait, do it again? I Maybe I didn't hear it right. Yeah, it's like to get the whole fat of the fender. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no. Wait, is that what, was that the dude you were on The Office character? <laughs> what the hell was you guys, that? You guys don't remember? There's, there's a That's great your Joe line. Pesci? There's a great line. You don't remember the line where he's Mine trying to think too. of the name of a part of a deer. <laughs> no? All right, never mind. You guys should see this movie, Goodfellas, sometime. It's pretty good. Can't remember. <laughs> well, my right, moment so... wasn't the knife; it was the painting. It's, the, like... it's the painting analysis. Yeah. Right. It's like a dog going one way and another dog pointing another way, and an old man staring at you, the viewer <laughs> in the audience watching Goodfellas, and Joe Pesci explaining it. All right, that's it's a funny. Good one. I, don't, I, I like. There's there's I... a lot of good hitman stuff in Goodfellas. That's why they call it Goodfellas, because they're oh, good fellas. Very good. See? See what they did there? B plus. Well parsed. C minus. Dingus, what is your number three favorite scene involving a hitman or an assassin? Hate myself. You're, I, you said the number. You said they were boring. I'm sure the number one will be great. The number one's awesome. Okay. Skip ahead. <laughs> All right, Dingus. What's your number three? What do you got for us? All right, I got a line for you guys for my number Oh, good, three. good, yeah. Is it Joe Pesci? It, it is not Joe, Joe Pesci. Pe okay, because I can do an impression if you need me to. I'm not going to. Hmm. I'm going to wait for the mouse to leave our podcast. <laughs> Sorry. All right, here's the line. Please open the door. Please open the door. Please open the door? What kind of hit me? What? Please open the door. Please open the door. Okay, you guys aren't going to remember this moment, but um, the moment that follows it is one of my favorite little moments. And and uh, I I was really driven in this list by by I just love little moments in films, just little bits that characters do, little little touches that they do that that add to their character. And th this moment is from the the film. Um, it was first called The Professional. 
Um, and then oh. when, when it got a DVD release, it became uh, Leon the Professional. Now, why would you say we wouldn't remember that moment? That's a great moment from the movie. Well, not just not from from the line. Oh, I see. Right. Um, is it Blade Runner? It is. It's from Blade Runner, and it's when Natalie Portman. Um, uh, best actress. <laughs> Natalie Portman, best actress Natalie Portman, walks by her apartment where her family has been um, killed and goes to the end of the hall to the enigmatic man who's been kind to her or just at least shown her some kindness and 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 just please let me in please please open the door and he lets her in uh which is a there's there's so many moments in this movie that i loved and i i didn't think about this for character introductions his his character introduction is fantastic but the moment i really like the little moment involving him the hitman is is right after that uh, one of the henchmen one of gary oldman's henchmen has watched her walk in to uh to uh, leon's apartment and then after that, uh, another the henchman comes out and says, "We're looking for a little girl. She's part of the family, but she's somewhere else." And so this henchman now gets curious, and he walks up to Leon's door and puts his head up to it. And Leon's looking through the peephole, and he puts his the muzzle of his gun up against the door where the guy's head is. And we're seeing a point of view through that peephole, and the guy moves his head slightly out of frame so that he's obviously trying to listen, and he moves to another part of the door to listen. And then the camera switches perspective back to Leon's face, and you see him look to his gun and adjust the muzzle over to where the guy's head is. And I just love that little moment. He's got it right there. He knows exactly where the guy's head is, and then he just looks over, and he moves it over just a little bit. And that just that little hitman moment where he knows what he's going to do. I just, I really, really that those little tiny touches. Uh, part of the reason why I liked the film we did this this week, there were there were kind of those little touches that save a movie for me. There's plenty in this movie that that makes it recommended, but but that little moment does it for me. Isn't is that an example of Hitman with a Heart of Gold movie? Isn't that what uh, definitely, yeah, yeah, definitely. So it subverts your subversion. <laughs> well subverted, well done, B plus. <laughs> but Hitman don't have pimps. What are you talking? Is about? that a movie? That's a Spike Lee movie, isn't it? <laughs> it's a Ron Shelton uh, movie. Oh, sorry. All right, good. So, uh, all right, Tom. <laughs> my, my number two. We're just going to do it quickly because you guys have not seen the movie, so I kind of hate to talk about this bit. The mm. best scene from the movie? That's eh, not the best scene. It, Sounds uh, boring. You know what? The movie's long, and I, I can't do a line from it because there's virtually no dialogue in this movie. Long stretches mm. go by with nobody talking. Uh, <laughs> and it's uh, it's uh, George It's not George Clooney. George Clooney's in it. I don't remember the director's name. It's a movie from last year called The American, um, <clears throat> where George Clooney isn't really an, an assassin, but he's a guy who can make guns. And he's in a country in Europe where you can't just go out and buy one, so he makes a, a gun for some shadowy figure for whom he works. And the point of delivery for the gun is to an assassin. And there's a scene where George Clooney and this female assassin are testing this gun that he has built. And it is, I, I think, the, it, it's, it's an amazing scene for how little you know about who they are. Uh, it, it's got so much subtext and uncertainty and tension, and it's just two people testing a gun. Uh, and that's one of my favorite assassin moments. That I don't won't, won't go into anymore because you guys haven't seen the movie, but you should. American has some great stuff to recommend. I it. thought you didn't and, like it. Uh, I did. I did falls apart, but uh, it 
it's a good slow buildup, and I like some things about it, and I love this scene. Um, it's just so that is. Go ahead, Tinkus. No, go ahead, Tom. Oh, it's just an example of it doesn't romanticize like what assassins do. It's just showing it as like you know this is their jobs. These people working, uh, they don't know each other. It's there's something going on between them, but uh, it's it's a non-romanticized view of an assassin, uh, and I love that about it. That's exactly what I was going for. I really like that. Thank you. But you haven't seen American, right? No, I haven't. Okay. And I and I just I wished I could have seen it this week because in the back of my head I thought uh, I, maybe somebody's going to pick this, but I don't think that's his job. Um, just I have very shadowy understanding of what what the film is, so I just I I had a, a bunch of other films on my slate to watch this week, so I, that, I never got around to that. But I'm really pleased that you picked that moment. Okay, one, you haven't seen American either. No, I don't see movies about nationalities. <laughs> it's racist. All right, Kelly, what Should is I, though? Two? Uh, yeah, yeah, you would appreciate some stuff in The American. You know, Netflix. Uh, it's not Everyone I know who saw it said it was just so slow. But you don't and, have a problem with that. We don't have a... Every, people say that... Mm. People who say that should go see Drive Angry. You know, they're worried about a movie <laughs> being slow. There are plenty of movies that are not slow. Uh, no, Drive Angry is slow. I think. Towards the end. Towards the last two minutes, it gets really slow. Are there any movies that are faster than Drive Angry? Zapped. Mm. Zapped's <laughs> constant action. There's not a wasted second in it. Uh, yeah, American is slow. <laughs> I, will, I will give you that. Uh, I love the silence that follows. <laughs> Kelly wants to. I still haven't seen oh, Zapped, okay. so I have nothing to contribute. I, Why haven't you? I can't be bothered. You're doing this for you a year and a half. I'll see Zapped when you see The American. How's that? What do you think really? of that? Really? You're willing to give up that much for that little? <laughs> I mean, that little for that much. Wait, all right. Uh, Kelly, what is it? your number two if it's not zapped? Uh, this one's actually not boring, but the number one I'm really excited about. This one I'm mediocre excited about. C minus. Uh, I forget if you guys saw this movie because I've always, I'm always thinking about it. Uh, 1983's The Survivors with Robin Williams and Walter Matthau. And Jerry Reed. <laughs> Did you guys see it? I can't remember. I know we've talked about this before, but I, I don't, don't see movies with Robin Williams in them. Oh, it's the best Robin Williams movie, except with, with the possible exception of Bicentennial Man. Um, okay, so Jerry Reed's this assassin in it, and uh, there's a lot of awesome dialogue. Uh, like uh, he says, he was raised to strict Southern Baptist. I place a high value on human life, twenty thousand dollars minimum. Come on, that's funny, right? That's good. Okay, so there's this one part where his girlfriend is super. She has a meltdown on him, and he's trying to get out of the house because he has to go kill Robin Williams because uh, he witnessed him doing something or other. And uh, she's just like crying and going, "Oh, what's wrong? Is it me? Are you seeing someone? You have to be seeing someone. It's the only explanation for all your mysterious disappearances." And he's all. All right, I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm a hitman. And she's all, really? And then she's totally relieved, like, oh, thank God. And she's, that's totally, like, peace-making moment. Um, she's so happy. And then he leaves. It's good. Does he have there. a heart of gold? No. There's no hearts of gold in The Survivors. It's not, that's why it makes it a great comedy. Because if a character has a heart of gold, it's not funny. Right. 
That's why the Feralies are only good up to there's something about Mary. Although Hall Pass is supposed to be their resurgence. Hmm. Well, I'll never know. <laughs> Dingus will know. I won't know. Yeah, I predict no one on this podcast is going to see Hall Pass. I don't know. That's just my. Thought. What about the survivors? There's not a, there's not that much Walter Matthau to see, so I'm surprised you didn't just, uh, just um, watch it by accident. I'm not going to see Owen Wilson if he's not in a Wes Anderson film. <laughs> Wait a minute, that can't be true, Dingus. Hold on. I just I just decided that just now because I that will that will make the healing complete for me. <laughs> Owen Wilson. Is Owen Wilson in a romantic comedy with Jennifer Aniston? Yeah, Marley and Me. Oh my God! Oh, I'd block that out of my head. That's right. You Except love that. It's not movie. a romantic comedy. It's the funny thing. Do you know what? Marley it's a tearjerker. It's a tearjerker based on some idiot newspaper columnist who couldn't think of anything to write about, so he freaking wrote about his stupid dog. Oh. And they made a Aww. movie out of his columns. I know, and I've, I, I'm reading a book by uh, the guy, this guy Caesar Milan, uh, about raising dogs. He's the dog whisperer, and he talks about this guy every now and then, about how basically he did everything wrong. <laughs> Dingus, you're going to end up seeing Marley and me then. Ha ha, have fun. It's a great movie. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I thought it was about Scrooge. Get it? Ah, very good. <laughs> That's actually very good, Kelly. Ha ha ha. That's a minor Dickens joke. It's a little too highbrow, but it's good. Yeah, no one's going to get it, but it's fine. I'm used to that. <sighs> All right, when, Dingus, when you're done cackling, what is your number two? I can't get rid of this guy, Marley. <laughs> That's how oh, he talks. That would be such a great buddy movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're buddy cops. They're ghosts. They're both ghosts. Dude, we're trying to be quiet. Loose the chains. Yeah, he's the. Oh, sorry, she stuck me in it. Not a ghost, anybody, but the, it's like she's all that, but instead of uh, Rachel Lee Cook, it's a ghost. Oh, that's very pleasing. Thank you, Kelly. Well, I was all right, my, my number two. <laughs> my number two. I think Tom is absolutely going to hate. Um, awesome. And I think I like you Tom's will too, hate. because because it is it is both heart of gold and it is funny to me. So I think that it won't work for either of you. I guys. know what it is. It's Kit Fisto from the uh, the Star Wars prequels, right? Kit, Kit Fisto. Fisto. That's so dirty. What? Yeah. Isn't that Tom? The, please. Uh, it's a family podcast. <laughs> isn't that the assassin that they chase? There's an assassin in the Star Wars Kit prequels. Fisto. I'm convinced Dingus is choosing that. Oh, the clone. Well, right, well, let's start a thread about it and see what happens. <laughs> Let's see if anyone. Let's put Star Wars in a thread title and see if anyone reads it. Top Star Wars assassins, go. Yeah. Let's just write Star Wars, and that's right, the so complete I've title. You. So it's it's not the prequels. I'm guessing you're not picking the the assassin from the prequels that that they chase in the when we find out that Obi Wan hates flying. It's not that bit. It's not. No. He likes civilized age before flight. Uh, Lost. <laughs> civilized I hate flying. Age. <laughs> I don't oh, like God. sand. Is that your Joe Pesci? No, that, that Dude, if Joe Pesci had been a Jedi, those fucking prequels would have owned. Like <laughs> Samuel Jackson would have been the second most badass. <laughs> Plus, he's short like Yoda, so it could have been the same race. Okay, back to Dingus. Sorry. Just think about Star Wars. Star Wars. 
<sighs> it's always so great that Tom always brings up Star Wars first and always complains about it bringing I don't like Star Wars. Oh, Star God, Wars? I do not. You can't pin that on me. You guys are all. You were saying it. Oh. I didn't bring it up just now. You, you guys... bring it up more than anyone. You no, like the... please, please. I try it's to against all around... logic. No, you don't. Actually, I did you bring it up, just now, didn't I? You brought it before the podcast, even somehow. I'm the one that yeah. picked it for the three by three that about the yeah, physical yeah. bits, and you guys. Oh, there. brilliant! That was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> all right, King is quick. Get us out of Star Wars talk. What is your number yeah. two favorite? Talk about real movies and... like documentaries. <laughs> all right, my number three has the following quote in it. Okay, I'm gonna cruise by my locker. I'll meet you out front. Oh, I know. What? You get it from that? Is it? Is it? Uh, is it? Let the right one in. <laughs> What? I don't know. Wow. I like We're the Thompson. Oh yeah, that one. Oh, it's from <laughs> some Norwegian. It's, it's, it's a gross point blank. It is gross point blank. Very okay. good. <laughs> the right way. Well, I thought for a minute when it'd be about assassins. Well, because there's the the kids in the in the when he when he's uh, kidnapping the the high school kid. I thought maybe it was a line from that. Cause he's not really a hitman or an assassin though, so never mind. The old man's technically her assassin. He's a caretaker. Uh, but uh, so, gross point blank, Nigus, you would you would go another assassin with a heart of gold. Well done. Thank you very much. And it's also funny, and he has a heart of gold. Ha uh-huh. uh, ha. The the moment that I, I really, I you know, I really like this movie. I don't think it's very good. I can't say I love it. Uh, there are a lot of little little touches that I really like in it. And I, I love the relationship that um, that uh, John Cusack and uh, and um, Minnie Driver have in it. They just have some just great little moments. She's so weird, and I just like her so much. This weird moment in her in her bedroom where where she says she'll give him an answer if if he gives her an airplane, and then then he he lifts her in the air with his legs. But that's not that's not the moment. The moment the moment I'm talking about is um, right after uh, he's he's at his locker. Uh, he gets into the, a fight with this terrorist assassin dude, and it's a really good fight. I wish I would have uh, seen it when we were talking about fights because there's a lot of a lot of stuff in a fight that I like where, where characters are missing each other. They're throwing punches and missing them, and it's a little bit sloppy, and it's rough, and it's, and it's not quite working. They're both really good at what they do, but, but they're just – it, because they're so good, everything's not perfect. Um, but the fight ends, of course, with this, this pen this dude has given him earlier because he hasn't brought a gun because he's trying to leave this life behind. It's a very it's a, it's an absurd situation, but the the moment is right after he he kills the guy uh, with this with this pen that this other dude has given him as his calling card. Um, this guy named Ken has given him a pen, uh, and and so he he uh, he kills the this other assassin with a pen, and he just has this look on his face. Uh, and John Cusack is so good at these these types of moments um, where it's just like I just. I didn't want to do that. And he just gets, he, he can convey that so quickly. And I just like that little moment. And then of course, Mini driver runs in and, and his, and his line is just this odd, that that's not me. That's, that wasn't me. Um, and, but the look he gives right after using the pen is, is a, is a moment I really love. Kelly, wanted you on board with that one. <laughs> I can't remember that part. I like the movie, but I don't remember the pen. It's the end of the fight scene. Yeah. Oh, okay. Then yeah, I do remember. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> The pen oh, the is a pretty scene in Ghost Point. <laughs> Him killing right. the guy with the pen is a pretty famous moment. Doesn't Dan Aykroyd get a? Doesn't he get killed by a TV on his head? Yes, he does. And uh, hope that's and, not a spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, John Cusack says popcorn, and then hits him with a TV. Ah, uh, gotcha. That's wacky. They're wacky. They are it's crazy. Like They're crazy, chest. wacky assassins. 
Yeah. I think it's how do you spell gold. gross point blank? With a lot of E's. Huh. Actually, only one. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> it's after point, right? Point <laughs> Exactly, because it's French. Ah. Uh, uh-huh. That right, explains so, Tom's French accents. I, do you want to hear me do a, a French Joe Pesci? Yeah. That's <laughs> well, not going to happen. <laughs> I thought that was it, actually. I was going to say it's much better than your normal. Uh, let's do our number ones. You guys ready for this? Oh, yeah. So, Dingus, your, your number one isn't Michael Clayton? It is not. Can't imagine uh, what you're thinking then, because there's no... The moment you said scenes with assassins, there there is no better assassin scene I can think of. I mean, normally when I pick a number one, I'm like, yeah, it could be this, it could be that, maybe it'll be this. I'll weigh it over the course of the week. The moment you laid this out, I that I am still just gobsmacked watching that scene in Michael Clayton because it's such an unprecedented look at like how assassins, and I don't know how they really work, but it's such an unprecedented like portrayal of assassins at work because, you know, they're they're doing it like uh, like a job. It's like something that professionals do with the dispassionate precision that a surgeon or a mechanic might bring to a job. Ah, mechanics, uh, what you did there. It's quick, it's careful, it's emotionless. They're not badass. Instead, there's something more important. They're professional. Uh, and I just, that, that, that scene, it's like, a, it's like a centerpiece around which Michael Clayton is built. I honestly, watching that movie, couldn't care less about what happens to George Clooney. To me, that movie is about Tilda Swinton and, and uh, Tom Wilkinson's character. And, and, and the fulcrum of that relationship is the assassination scene where Tom Wilkinson gets killed. Um, I love how the uh, I love the character actors that play the assassins too. Uh, you know, they've been in the they're in the movie early on as just surveillance dudes. And there's a scene where Tilda Swinton very imprecisely and nervously says, let's go ahead with this. Let's escalate to the next level. And the guy who she's talking to is one of the assassins totally knows what she's saying and, you know, he's he's prepared for it, but she's she's being unclear. Uh, and at, at one point, he even he he pins her. He says something like, uh, uh, like, OK, you don't want to do it. Like he, he has to basically <laughs> tell her, look, you have to tell me to do this. You know, you can't just waffle around and, and talk imprecisely. So he, he says at one point. You know, like, okay, you understand what I'm saying, or okay, you want me to proceed. And then I think the scene cuts at that point, uh, and and it shows them working. Uh, it's as far as the way it's shot, it's all one take. Um, it's it's brutal too because Tom Wilkinson's eyes are open the entire time. Uh, hmm. I love how the scene takes its time too. Uh, you know, there's very little dialogue. They, the, the two guys communicate with each other very professionally. I think the only lines spoken in the scene are lift when they're carrying his body, mm-hmm. wipe when one of them needs uh, to wipe some fingerprints from something, I think. Uh, and then I love this moment. You know, they, they put it. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm spoiling Michael Clayton if you haven't seen it. So go away. But uh, they, they first hit him with a taser and then they put some kind of inhalant thing into his mouth and then they carry him in the room and you're not sure what they're doing. And they take off his shoe and his sock. Uh, and as the guy is getting a needle out to inject him between the toes, the other guy says, and this is one of the few bits of dialogue, you better hit it, <laughs> which I yeah. love. It's it's like maybe they've done this before, and the guy right. missed the vein, the la- or missed, didn't get it right the last time. Right. Um, but so much is conveyed between these two guys. And I love how the scene takes its time 
when the guy injects Tom Wilkinson's toe, the other guy is just holding two fingers on his neck to feel his pulse, and the, and everything stops for a moment. Mm. And they're just sort of, sort of sitting there hanging fire. The guy's got his finger on Tom Wilkinson's pulse, waiting for it to die out. And the movie just pauses and hangs out there for a second. It doesn't mm-hmm. cut away. And we just watch them sort of sitting there waiting for Tom Wilkinson to die. Clinical um, detachment. Yeah. Uh, That's and, the best scene in that movie. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, and it's. I mean, I, I, I cannot imagine what you guys would pick that's number one that is not Michael Clayton. I mean, <laughs> they're, 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 that's, that's the pinnacle of assassin slash hitman scenes. That never occurred to me, and I think it's great. Yeah, you might have won the thread. Wait, I'd wait, like wait, that. Wait, thing is, you brought this up, and it didn't because that's the first thing that popped into my head. None of mine had to do with the actual assassinations. All right. The but one that's that a great one. Yeah. The one that occurred to me after the fact that I thought you might be talking about is is the movie we both like that has the word assassination in the title. That's not even an assassination. Uh. I guess it is. I, I know, but I thought oh, that's where he's going. Okay, whatever. I didn't but even instead think of you that. instead the you Star went... Wars of westerns. I didn't think of that, and I didn't think of assassination of Richard Nixon, which I love. Actually, he doesn't assassinate. Does he assassinate anyone? I forget if he shoots uh, anyone in that. Who uh, Nixon? Sean he Penn. was on the grassy knoll. It's all very he shoots. He shoots our country. Yeah, just like Florida. Uh, all right, so there's my number one. I don't know. I can't wait to see what you guys come up with now. You guys will suck now. Please. <laughs> so lift wipe. You better hit it. That's how we're. I think there's. There, I think there's also uh, ready. Like when they when they when he when he's down on the ground, they look at each other. They say ready and then lift and then wipe and you better hit it. I don't remember his eyes being open. Yep, that's the, I, I, I just watched it. And that's the, yeah. yeah, his eyes are open the entire time. There's one point where the camera pans over away from his face, but the rest of the, the time his face is in the shot and his eyes are wide open. Hmm. He's acting. I he's not thinking about this, his back taxes. <laughs> I, exactly, yeah. uh, I got to see a uh, a screening of Michael Clayton with uh, Tony Gilroy doing and and George Clooney doing Q and A afterwards. And I couldn't have cared less what George Clooney... I mean, everybody wanted to ask George Clooney something. But I, I asked him about that scene, and he said, you know, those two actors worked together with each other to sort of come up with this. Uh, really? Like, yeah, those those two guys huh. were just, like, so committed to, like, making it work and rehearsing it. And, uh, to, cause, and that's what it takes. I mean, because it looks yeah. like these guys, you know, they've got a routine, and they're, they're communicating with each other. And you know, No Oscars for them. It's all about timing. That thing is total timing. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice choice. Hmm. All right. So, so in the script, got... none of those lines were in the script. I hate to oh, deny well, writers credit for this. I mean, awesomeness. I don't. I don't know how the script went, but it's just Tony Gilroy said, you know, they they came up with all the choreography for it. Like they. Mm. Uh, so it was a non-fake physical bit, like Obi Wan gesturing. <laughs> very exactly like that. After yeah. Luke farts. Oh, interesting. <laughs> <clears throat> all right, Kelly. What is your number one? Okay, another movie you guys didn't see, even though I told you to. (laughs) This is the whole 10 yards, which is much better because there's another yard involved. It's way more suspenseful. Uh, Did you guys not see Real Men with John Ritter and James Belushi? Which also has a cool running gag involving a pen, by the way. I'm going to say no. no. What will Dingus say? But you have, though, Tom, even though you're saying no. Can I say no? <laughs> oh, Joe Pesci. 
Uh, I okay. don't see movies about nationalities. Ah, fair enough, fair enough. All right, well, <clears throat> okay, so the premise of the movie is that Jim Belushi, which I think is, this is like the only movie I've liked him in, and maybe the only movie he's made that comes to mind, actually. Isn't he just a TV dude? I don't uh, remember. Sure he's been good. Isn't he in Midnight Run? He's in... Opposite Charles Grodin? He's in... Isn't that him? Oh. What? Red Heat? Oh, yeah, that's true. Is that can good? You just, can you know? Is that can the one just... with Patrick Swayze and C. Thomas Howell? It's Arnold Schwarzenegger. Come on. Oh, oh. Um, okay, so he's like the badass CIA agent, and John Ritter's the um, meek uh, family man, and uh, they basically... Uh, it's like a buddy movie, and Jim Belushi at one point... Uh, they're on. A, they're in a, like a big hurry to get to Washington in the next twenty four hours, but Jim Belushi. They still go to a bar to get laid <laughs> the night before, <laughs> and uh, there's a sequence. Oh, so when assassins attack them in this fight, and John Ritter got knocked out, but Jim Belushi to like build up his confidence told John Ritter that he took them all out. So John Ritter's under the misapprehension that he's this badass assassin himself. So he's like fully galvanized from it and thinks he's tougher than he really is. So he's like staring down dudes in the bar, and Jim Belushi uh, hits up this like librarian mousy girl, and she turns out to be a dominatrix. So there's like intercuts of like him with her, while John Ritter is like sitting across the street, and he witnesses uh, these dudes burglarizing an antique store. So <laughs> he takes out all the burglars, basically with combat skills that he's suddenly developed just based on his new self-esteem and uh my favorite one is he's taken them all out in different ways like someone he just like comes up behind him and punches them in the face and then uh the third guy he takes out it's like this dude opens the rear door of the van they're putting shit in and john ritter jumps out of the van and punches him and so i love the fact that he went to the trouble to sneak into the van and crouch in waiting so he could surprise the guy instead of, I don't know, it just seemed really cheap and funny. That's that, my number that, one. That was your great one? <laughs> if you so see it, is, it's good. It's like true. Rambo. What, what, what? John, John Ritter's van attack. That's what John Ritter's We're, van attack in Real Men, yeah. John, John Ritter, that's who you're talking about? Yeah, the assassin okay. John Ritter. Okay, the assassin John Ritter. It's Rambo in the Wall of Mud, only with a van. <laughs> All right. <laughs> See that movie and watch it really baked, right after the survivors. Dingus, By the way, Tom. That? Yeah. Yes, yeah. On. Take that. Oh, I was going to say Tom has an unusually smack-proof gob. What? <laughs> Why? You weren't gobsmacked by the uh, scene in in Michael Clayton? Yeah, I was. Oh. I meant me and you, not just you. Okay, that's my number one, John Ritter. John Ritter's van attack. Well, I'll have to see that post-haste. I mean, he's not really an assassin, so I guess I broke the list, which I know Tom hates, because, you know, Tom's a real stickler for rules, like non-faked physical bits in movies, <laughs> documentaries. Tom, what are you going to make Kelly watch before you'll see Real Men? Let's see, Kelly Wand, I will watch Real Men... If you will see the remake of The Mechanic. Oh. 
Some chick gave away the ending of it to me, and I totally wanted to murder that movie. Wait, what are you talking about? Have you not seen the original mechanic? We're saving this for runners-up, because I have some things to say. But uh, let's go to... Let's table that discussion. Uh, Go to Dingus's number one scene involving an assassin or hitman, which is at least as good as the scene in Michael Clayton. And the scene of John Ritter coming out of a van. (laughs) So I thought it was moment, not scene. Is it scene or moment? It's a moment, but Tom thinks that scenes are moments, so that's okay. okay. Um, you know, he hears things. He does. It's okay. Like Joan of Arc. <laughs> All right, my number one. Um, With the Heart of Gold. It has an article. Okay, I think I'll give you guys a line from it. Awesome. Yeah, I'm going to do that. In that case, you better have explosive bullets. I think he was doing an accent, Kelly Warren. I couldn't really tell. Well, Joe, Joe Pesci Joe from Pesci. Swaziland. Oh, racist. Explosive bullets. I actually recognize that line. Is it something that we've seen recently, Dingus? Yeah. Animal Kingdom. Okay, I didn't hear bullets. what you said. Is it something we've Casino. seen recently, Dingus? It is not something we've seen recently. It's from 1973. So we oh, have I haven't seen, seen it, it then. I didn't go to, I don't see those old movies. Um, uh, no, and this, oh, this oh, is oh, the... Oh, go ahead, Godfather Kelly. It is not... Silent no. 2001. 2002. Yeah, 2001, and it's the jawbone, or whatever bone, the femur bone that the ape is using. Because the ape is drinking beer out of. I guess he's not a man. He's not a hit man. Right. He's a hit I'm gonna man. I'm going to have to choose something else. He's a hit man. He's the oldest profession. Uh, no, it is not. Neither of those things or any of them. Any other guesses, Kelly Wand? 1973, the movie? Winchester 73. No. Kingdom of the Ants. Rats. Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Things that are green. Yes. Hollywood Squares. <laughs> All right, Tom, I, uh, do you have any guesses? Would you like sure. to chime in? Uh, I could just throw out movies that I think were from sometime around 1973, but I don't remember. Could it be Taxi Driver, Kelly Wand? When was Taxi Driver shot? That's 79 okay. or 8. Yeah. It's yeah, I don't, I don't know. I could try. I suck at the date game anyway. So no, I give up, Dingus. I'm going to guess that I have not seen it. Oh, you know what? Rats. It, oh, for Pete's sake. Willard. Is it? Is it that movie with Tim, a young Tim Roth, Terrence Stamp, and John Hurt? What was that called? Hmm. The Hit. The Hit. No, it's not that. But that's. Oh. Dingus wouldn't have seen that. Dingus. No, Dingus see has seen it. Organism. I made him see that. I made him see that. The yeah, hit. I love really? that movie. Yeah. Really? That almost made my list, but it's less about the assassin and more about the victim, I think. I mean, the hit is fantastic. Are you kidding, Kelly Wand? Yeah. No, no, it is. It's before Stephen Frears went Hollywood. Mm, I like it. He, he's been non I'm just surprised Dingus liked it. No, we, every, who, every, I'm surprised that the, more people haven't seen the hit. I mean, the hit should be, I don't know. I guess Required it's, viewing after I, Zap, I it's Goodfellas. <laughs> I think it's because it's like an indie British movie. Um, yeah. So anyway, so I'm sorry, Dingus. It's obvious. It's not the hit. Uh, which is why are you surprised that I would like the hit, Kelly Wand? Yeah, I'm taking umbrage. I'm over here taking umbrage. <laughs> Where are you taking it? No, I just thought it was too nihilistic for you. Dingus can do. Nihilism. You like uplift, like drive angry. <laughs> I, I'm all about nihilism. I'll give you nihilism like you wouldn't believe. Really? At least yeah. it's an ethos. Yeah, that's a good point. Oh God. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Dingus, what is a uh, worst what is, podcast ever? What's that line from? It, I mean, you better bring uh, explosive bullets. 1973. Did they even have those back then? See, exactly. What is, what is Dingus on about? Maybe it was a futuristic movie. Can't be Get like Carter. Like Sleeper. <laughs> it's not Get Carter. It's Get De Gaulle. 
<laughs> oh, uh, Day of the Day Jackal. Jackal. Yes, uh, it's the Day of the Jackal. With Richard Gere. Right. Uh, not with Richard Gere. It's got to be public and brutal. Um, no, it's the original That's a good Day Richard of the Gere. Jackal. Thank you. I, I do uh, a very good Richard Gere doing Irish. Um, and this is what occurred to me as soon as uh, I came up with the idea for this, because this there's uh, an image from this film that has been in my head uh, for as long as I can re- remember uh, seeing movies. And I saw this as a, you know when I was much much younger. I don't remember first seeing it. I must have seen it. You know, my dad must have shown it to me on television at some point. Um, and it's it's this moment. It's this little moment. Where the Jackal, and uh, hopefully you've seen Day of the Jackal, but it's 73, so I'm not going to worry about spoiling it. Uh, and plus, it's you know it's a historical, it's a documentary, so you don't have to worry about that. Right, it's not a movie. Um, and it's this this little moment. I just I don't know why I always think about this moment. It's one of those um, those film images that that again it's pervasive. It's something that I, I comes up to me a lot. And it's it's the moment when the, when the Jackal finally gets uh, gets off the shot. And De Gaulle, uh leans over to kiss the guy he's giving a medal to, and and he misses. And there's this puff of smoke on the ground behind behind De Gaulle's head. I mean, because he's he's got his one shot and he missed it. And I didn't really. I just I don't know. That image just sticks with me. And so I watched the film again this week, uh, and it's it wasn't until I watched the film again this week that I realized why there's that puff of smoke, because it's an explosive bullet. And there's this great scene, there's a couple of great scenes in this, that, um, and when you were talking about the American, that's one of the reasons why I'm so pleased that you brought up the American, Tom, is that um, Edward Fox, who plays the Jackal, uh, has this scene with the guy he's hired to be his gunsmith. Um, and he's telling him what specifications he needs for the gun, how he needs to hide it, what distance he needs to shoot, and um, he needs to have a silencer so he can get away. And so then the the gunsmith says, okay, well, uh, then in that case, you're going to need explosive bullets. And when I got to that scene, which I didn't remember from having seen it many, 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 many years ago, all of a sudden this image in my head that's so prominent of this this puff of smoke on the ground behind de Gaulle's head makes sense. Well, of course there's a puff of smoke. It's not just kicking up dirt. It's because that's an explosive bullet. He's using an explosive bullet. He can only have one shot. He might be able to get off a second shot. It's got to have a silencer. He's using this stainless steel construction of a gun that he has to conceal in all these different tubes and put together. And so that's why that image is so prominent in my head. So the moment I'm talking about is when he misses and there's that puff of smoke in the background. And I just love that that moment. This this uber assassin and he gets to the to the end of his job and he fails. And I I just I love being able to watch the movie again. And again, this is one of the reasons I love doing the 3 by 3 with you guys, is that it, it gets me to watch older films or other films that I haven't seen in a long time, and they reveal new things to me. Uh, there's also a great calibration scene where he's he, he's using his weapon for the first time, and he's, and he's trying to calibrate the scope. And it's just, you know, he's just, you know, doing these little things with a screwdriver and, and shooting a watermelon. And uh, and so you're, you're talking about the American really brought... brought to mind little things that I really liked about uh, you know either you need to see the American or I need to see Day of the Jackal because uh, I did I for, it's not a documentary 
Oh. I remember him painting the car, Dingus. That's the first image I think of. I really thought that was a documentary about an attempted assassination of Charles de Gaulle. Did you think the Bruce Willis remake was another documentary? A <laughs> <laughs> really took the word of day the out of it. Yeah. Oh, they took. So it's not a day now. Hmm. Fiction. Bruce is 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 the Bruce Willis. <laughs> That's a documentary to... title to you. <laughs> day of the Jackal. Well, sure. Remember yeah. from that famous news story when that one day happened and everyone was all, "Yeah, the Jackal." Did you hear about it? So no one tried to assassinate Charles de Gaulle? No. They made that up. Are they also lying? made up that Lincoln got assassinated. He's still alive, you too. Don't know. You don't know. Ah. You don't know. I don't know who Charles de Gaulle know. is. <laughs> not you. Not you. Not you. I only know fake movie history. Charles de Gaulle invented radiation. <laughs> oh, right. Uh, you know, I, yeah, I have not seen it. I, know, I really did think it was a documentary, and I don't know why I thought that. but uh, Retardation. <laughs> and therefore Kelly, not a movie Kelly, uh, right. the things that w- I think would drive you crazy about this movie is that um, there's a lot of really polite murdering in it that you don't really see happen um, mm, It's, but that goes with the, I don't know there's a lot that I do like about it yeah So there. Yeah, I was really, I was, I'm really happy I, I watched it again uh, and that, that little moment I root was for really that a great guy. payoff for it's me. like a bummer, like, oh I missed, fuck Suck. Yeah, it's that it's that black. Feel Sunday bad for him. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Who directed Day of the Jackal? Uh, Fred Zinnemann. What you made See? that up? <laughs> You're right, I did. That's the guy who <laughs> shot the the film of Kennedy getting assassinated. That's right, the Zinnemann film. I forgot Back about. Back and to the left. Back <laughs> to the left. So nobody picked JFK, huh? Interesting. Huh. Well, you don't know who the assassins are, is it? Ah, good point. Like, isn't it all about non-assassins? And people right, pay? this wasn't favorite red herring moments. Uh, well, I do have some runners-up. Are you guys ready for these? Yeah, yeah, I am. Let's hear it. I don't have any. So, Kelly One, you've, you've seen the... So you said somebody ruined the end of the mechanic for you. you the remake. About, well, the remake... You've seen the original, though, right? Yeah, it's awesome. Well, it's the but same they fucked it up for the remake. The no, right, it's right. not. It's a, no, it's I know, not. I know, I know. It's very no, different. No, no, no. And it's, it's you saw it. Hugely, yeah, yeah. I saw ah, it. it's you saw the mechanic. How much they, uh, the mechanic is actually not bad. The remake. Uh, Bullshit. You, no, there are parts of the mechanic. I mean, it, the ending that, totally whiffs. I mean, it, the ending okay. basically violates the rest of the movie. And Jason Statham is just horrible. He's got nothing. But but one what? Jason, he can't be horrible in something. Oh come on, he is. He's not a good actor. He's a great action star, dude. But Jason. He's no Charles Bronson. You know, I think unless Guy Ritchie is doing something cool with him, I don't think Jason Statham really... No, know, Crank's okay. Crank's fine, Crank. but I mean, that's action hero stuff. Like that in the Transporter movies, he's just a good-looking, fun... He's just goofing around in those movies. But in The Mechanic... I like Death you know, Race. When he's... When, oh, God. But he's awesome mechanic, as Tybalt in Nomeo and Juliet. Uh, oh. When he's paired with Ben Foster, who's a real actor, you know, he just he basically disappears from the screen next to Ben Foster. Uh, but uh, uh, there, there's some really good action scenes, and there's some really good R-rated like violence. And and a, a, a contender for my list is actually Ben Foster's first hit in the Mechanic remake. Mm. Uh, it's a really good scene that I, I won't say anything about because I don't think many people have seen. I don't it. care. Um, I, I think you would you would like some of the action in the. I don't like remakes. I'm opposed to them. It, it, I don't think, I think it misses a lot of what the original did, and certainly you can tell Except by the, the fact thing. that they screw up the ending so bad. I mean, it's it's right. really and how poorly they understand what was cool about the ending of the original mechanic. Uh, yeah. 
But hmm. so uh, so Ben Foster's first hit in the Mechanic remake. Was I can see how they'd fuck up the ending if they remade The Great Escape now. I know exactly how the movie would end if they remade it. Jetpack. <laughs> yeah, jetpack, uh, time travel. Uh, no one picked any of the stuff from the Bourne movies. Eh, it's all the same shit. What? Isn't it? Well, I mean, don't they all kind of blend together? Oh, come on, are you serious? The Clive Owen, like, sniper scene from the first movie, and certainly the magazine fight. I guess in that, though, the, the fact that they're assassins is almost incidental. It's like super spy stuff. Right. It's not necessarily like Dingus is, you know, Dingus used the word hitman or assassins. It's less character-based, too. What is? Are you talking about the born identity? No, I think there's a lot of character work in the action sequences. In that one. In all of them. Well, I would, the third one Eh. didn't happen. I wasn't super crazy, but, but in the first two, uh, like in the, in the first two born identity movies, the people he fights, there's a, there's, I think some, it's these fight scenes that have character development in them. Right. I guess those are different. Well, since we did fight scenes, I was kind of like, I know I'll go for the van. (laughs) (laughs) So there's nothing. That's what Dinkus meant. John Ritter jumping out of a van in the board. Uh, the way he does it, perfect. Uh, it's on YouTube. I haven't, I haven't seen this in a while, but I remember this is seared in my brain. Early on in Day of the Condor, there's a, a part oh, yeah. where Robert Redford. Uh, Three Days of the out, Condor. Oh yeah, yeah. Day of the Jackal, right? Three Day of the Condor is the uh, documentary upon which Three <laughs> right, Days right. of the Condor was based. <laughs> yeah. uh, but Not a movie. Where, where Robert Redford. Uh, I think he knocks out an assassin and he ties him up, I think with a cord from a phone behind, mm. he ties the guy's hands behind his back and the assassin dude, and he thinks he's got the upper hand on the situation at that point, but the assassin dude is so badass, he does this move where he jumps up and puts his legs through his hands so his hands are <sighs> in front of him. Uh, yeah. I just remember as a kid seeing that scene and going, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's just a great scene too. I think, if I'm not mistaken, Robert Redford gets his ass kicked in that scene. It's one of those fight scenes where the hero well, he's, is clearly outclassed. He's a reader, not an assassin. He's got yeah. He doesn't know that shit. Well, yeah. one of the things I love about this that you that you remind me of Tom is that there's so many things that wouldn't be problems now. Like there's no nobody's getting tied up by a phone cord now. <laughs> um, right. And See? and all throughout the day of the jackal is stuff like that. The, the police are using An internet it, cable. The, the police are are picking up phones from their cars that look like just looks like a normal phone with a, mm-hmm. a curly cord that you would see on an old phone. It's like they've got a phone sitting in their car. Yeah. And, and anything in the day of the jackal would so easily be solved by the internet and by all the cameras we have on us now. I mean, the way he sneaks into into the country. Um, and and everything he does to evade the police is totally solved by the world we're in now, and and that was so quaint to watch that. And, you know, it's kind of like movies that were made back in the seventies. They're like period pieces now. It's so weird. Wow, you just <laughs> blew my mind, dude. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. It's like they're documentaries because the, they couldn't CG anything, so <laughs> everything without CG is a documentary and not a movie at all. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Uh, they're all. None of you guys brought up Pulp Fiction, like the, like yeah. I like. Eh. The How many times do you think that's going to be brought up in the thread? Yeah, let them do it. A million. I want to talk about real men in vans. Uh, buck, I like the Pulp. scene in In the Line of Fire where John Malkovich uh, realizes he has to kill the bank teller because she's asked him an innocent question that he knows will make her remember him. 
uh, and how he instantly flips on the switch to get flirty with her so that he can come to her house without alarming her later and kill her. Uh, I love that little bit from In the Line of Fire. Yeah. You guys don't remember. That's an it. underrated movie. Isn't yeah, it's it? Wolfgang Peterson. It's the fresh off Das Boot. <laughs> Clint Eastwood still boot. smarting from letting JFK get shot by Kevin Bacon. <laughs> and you guys mentioned No Country uh, for Old Men. What's an assassination in that? Every there's no, scene. There's no hitman in that. What are you talking about? Okay, forget it. Oh, uh, I guess he. Well, yeah, it's, I guess he is going. Of there. course, he is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Also, uh, Marathon Man. That part where uh, you can just hear him whispering in Dustin Hoffman's apartment. Actually, there's a lot of good assassin shit in Marathon Man. The fight with Roy Scheider and that dude in the suite, and the old man's watching from across the from his other window. Fuck you, Kelly. <laughs> we marathon it, man. Don't see movies fuck. with candy bars in the title. Well, that's a mistake, Tom. <laughs> no one wants to hear that. In my uh, Luc Besson selection Olympics, I, I considered La Femme Nikita first. Uh, I like the little dance she does, but she's not quite an assassin yet. She's still in training. Ah, mm. uh, good point. That's save that for the student assassin. Right, she's a pad war. That's Tom <laughs> And then the, there's also this great roof scene in The Untouchables with the the the, uh, the hitman named Needy, um, which I liked. But, uh, named what? Wait, wait, wait. What is that? I forget that. Frank Needy. Oh, Needy? Are you calling him Needy? Nitty. 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 Yeah, sorry. And I was the chick in Jennifer's body. Uh, That's what I was thinking, because I love that Amanda Seyfried's name was Needy. Needy. That. It was so cute. Well, it was a little overt, don't you think? No, please. There's nothing that movie. I like my subtext with a little sub in it. Hello. You're watching a crappy horror movie with Megan Fox as the monster. What, what, you can't. You can't expect any more. Uh, by the way, Hi, my character's name is Character. Uh-huh. <laughs> I like that Kelly Wand. That's See ironic. What I did there? Yeah. Uh, speaking of Amanda, I don't even know if I'm saying her name right. Seyfried. Seyfried. What's her last name? Uh, Red Riding Hood. Right. Is Do you that know who your... wrote the script for Red Riding Hood? Something Twilight. I'll bet, I'll bet you a million bucks. No, the guy right. who wrote The Orphan. Or Orphan, just Orphan. <sighs> well, they also wrote Unknown, didn't they? Or was that no, the director? No, 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 it's the director. The director, uh, so a du- I, I don't remember his name. The dude who wrote Orphan, it was directed by Jean-Colette Serra, who went on to direct Unknown. But the dude who wrote Orphan also wrote the script for uh, Red Riding Hood. So, in other Ergo. words, I'm there day one. What do you think of that? <laughs> Dumb. What really? It's uh, gonna be okay. Well, whatever. That's a terrible. Those are those are great posters. Yeah. I'm happy with that. Oh my god! All right, <laughs> so assassinations and hitmen and movies with Amanda Seyfried. Uh, what what other runners up? The guy who wrote Bad News Bears wrote the Thing script. Do you know that? Doesn't that I, blow you? I like that. It's good to know. Okay, we're getting back you. to assassins with Amanda. <laughs> you don't believe me? I'll bet you. Something, something Lancaster. Burt Lancaster. You're, you already owe me big money for me calling what Dingus was going to think of Drive Angry 3D. So. <laughs> True. I'm sorry I bet big money on that. <laughs> Inside, I was betting against myself. Uh, no more runners-up? Because every, every movie has an assassin. Every other movie has someone play. What about this horrible thing with Bill Nye called uh, oh, Rats? Uh, Ron Harris Weasley Kier- is in it. Um, what is it called? Harry Potter. Yeah, the, the, the Harry Potter movie. It's Bill Nye, and he takes Emily Blunt under his wing. He's an assassin, and Rupert Grint, and he teaches that. I can't. What? Think of... That sounds horrible. 
I don't know why that sounds so bad to me, but it's, it's, just, it's horrible. It and Bill like Knight, he's a very polite. I think he's even gay. He's a polite gay uh, English assassin. Um, and That's and they're wacky. Oh, what? Isn't there a William H Macy he's, one where he's an assassin who needs psychotherapy with Nev Campbell? Am I making that? That's up? Uh, analyze this, analyze no. that. <laughs> no, analyze no, no, thing. no. You guys don't know that movie? Well, in Gross Point Blank, he's doing. Uh, therapy with uh Alan Arkin. right 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 that was the first of those neither of those is nev campbell or william h macy though so, <laughs> close but otherwise Not everything was nev campbell <laughs> the deal that's the deal i think what's the rules that book tom recommended the rules nah. Nah. all right so you guys Jim. ready then for next week's three by three i think you're gonna am see- i i'm sorry am i and how all right <laughs> and Aish, tom's favorite female lesbian uh we next you week know. are going to talk uh commentary tracks uh i was very <sighs> disappointed to find out winter's bone is uh no no fish tank fish tank is a has a criterion collection release but there is no uh director's commentary by andrea arnold. is a real andrea arnold could not be bothered to show up and talk about her maybe own they didn't movie. ask her maybe she would have loved to Criterion, come on! They didn't ask. I think she's just uh, she's too big for her britches. I'm very disappointed. Oh, come on! I don't know. You don't think? All right. Anyway, for whatever reason, I'm really bummed out that there is no commentary track on on Fish Tank. Um, and it got me thinking about commentary tracks and really good ones. And uh, I'm not a fan of Dark City, but there's a, a relatively famous commentary track that Roger Ebert did for Dark City. He had nothing to do with the movie. He just dug it. And he's like, I'm gonna I'll talk about it while the movie plays. That was uh, his number one film that year. Yeah, it's crazy. It's Roger Ebert for you. Um, actually, I feel bad. I can't say bad things about Roger Ebert. Now, no, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. you're an asshole. I know. I can't He's always that. right because he got sick. <laughs> but uh, you there's jerk. also there's a, there's a Criterion uh, Seventh Samurai where they got some oh, yeah. Kurosawa scholar uh, to to do the commentary track, and the guy is a total nerd. I mean, he's <laughs> like a Japanese history nerd. He has a laugh just like that. Uh, no. <laughs> my real laugh fuck you <laughs> but the thing is listening to him do the commentary track he's in love with the movie and there are times where he he speaks uh he says very erudite things about it but other times where he just kind of gushes like while the movie's playing uh and it, it's a very endearing commentary track so anyway what i want from you guys for next week's three by three are three commentary tracks you'd like to hear uh presumably they don't exist um so i just want you to come up with Three instances of I want this dude talking over this movie, and I want you to tell me why you want to hear that. So mm-hmm. three commentary tracks you want to hear is uh, next week's 3 by 3 If mm. you have any questions, I will not be fielding them because I want you to do mm. with this topic whatever you like. Mm. Even ruin it. If you if you like, that's you. Have I do to, like. You can. <laughs> uh, so all I right. So that's next week, and then uh, what do you guys think of seeing Adjustment Bureau? What else is there? Nothing. I mean, yay, I'm in. <laughs> I will see uh, it if you do a commentary track while I watch it. Uh, talking to Tom or me? Yes. Obviously not talking to me. <laughs> I don't think we could coexist on the same track. This uh, podcast proves I saw a, a screening of Tom McCarthy's movie, uh, which we might be talking about later, uh, yesterday, and there was somebody in that movie. They weren't doing a commentary track. They were providing a laugh track. 
there was somebody in that movie who was theater. I, I think they. I'm sorry. Uh, well, you mean they were the in the theater. theater, right? They were in the theater, the very back, far left. It's it's seared in my oral awareness. Uh, they they would laugh at things that were not funny. I think it was. I, I mm. literally. I'm not just like saying a, it's like John Ritter coming out of a van. <laughs> I, I, I literally think that it was somebody with a disability. And I felt, at first, I was like, God, what a moron. But then I felt bad because they were That's the director. That's <laughs> Tom McCarthy. Uh, so, no, yeah. Dingus, I'm sorry. I will not be doing a commentary track for Adjustment Bureau. Sorry. but Wait, what was can, the Tom McCarthy movie? That can be one of your three by threes, is Tom Chick doing a commentary track for Adjustment Bureau. Uh, what's that, Kelly Wand? What was the Tom McCarthy movie you're talking about? Uh, it's called Win Win. It has a limited release on March 18th. Uh, it's with Paul Giamatti and my new girlfriend, Amy Ryan. Hmm. Interesting. Can you give me... I can't do it, Kelly Wan, so I... <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. She, I like her as a friend. Amy Ryan? She's no Amy Adams. Oh, oh, you know, she's what, totally. Yeah. She's way more... she got way more substance than Amy Adams. Amy Ryan is awesome. No, Redhead. She was dude. great in Green Zone. I can see what you're saying. Oh, uh, why would you yeah. do that? She really that's stole a, the movie. That's such a low blow. Why would you She's go good there? in The Wire, which you guys never will watch. Amy Ryan is in The Wire? Yeah. Whoa. Okay. When, when did that come out? Uh, a million years ago. <laughs> and it's not Back a movie, so we can't talk about it here. It's a documentary, Probably. right. Sorry. <laughs> wire. It's about a phone wire. That's right. I never saw it. <laughs> Dingus, I know what you're doing. That was way too obscure. <laughs> mm. A giggle uh, for explanation here. <laughs> uh, Dingus thought he was quoting adaptation. Uh, oh, but he mangled the line. No, he did. The, so he did a commentary track he poorly. Did, he did a very brief commentary track. He did like a three-second commentary track about adaptation in reference to the wire. Uh, well done, Dingus. Hey, uh, do mystery science theater things count as commentary tracks? Mm. He's not going to answer that question. Come yeah, that's right. Do they do commentary tracks? For the Mystery Science Theater movie, like, did they do a commentary track of them doing a commentary on the movie? Whoa, you just incepted I, us, I think. Dude! It just blew my mind. Shut up! <laughs> <laughs> All right, so next week, that'll be our 3x3. Three three. We will be seeing uh, Adjustment Bureau. Join us for that, as well as our 3x3 uh, three three on commentary tracks we'd like to hear. Uh, my name is Tom Chick. I was joined by Christian McClarkson. <laughs> wow! I like it. I'm, now I'm a American Idol winner. Uh, it's Christian Morosky. I was close. And Kelly Wand. Nicholas Cage, Vin Diesel, and Lewis Carroll in Drive Furiouser and Furiouser. Stick shifts and safety belts Bucket seats have all got to go When we're driving in the car It makes my baby seem so far I need you here with me Not way over in a bucket seat I need you to be here with me Not way over in a bucket seat Uh, this podcast was edited for time and content. Actually, I'm sorry, it wasn't. Sorry. <laughs> it turns my shit white.